With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Anfield Index Preview Pod. After the first international break of the new season, uh, one that featured a jazzy new European competition, but perhaps the same old impatience from the club fans across the country. So with the Reds returning to a 100% record from their first four games, tonight we'll be looking ahead to this weekend's clash with Spurs at Wembley. So joining me for the pod this week, I'm delighted to welcome on AI contributor Tariwa Chanakira and editor of TiVo Football, Seb Stafford-Bloor. Welcome, guys. Hi, Harry. Hello, Thank you very much for having me. Great to speak with you both. Yeah, plenty to to talk about. Um, before we get started, though, and talk about Liverpool Spurs and how both teams have started the season, um, got to ask you uh, how the international break was for you. Of course, we got this nice new UEFA um, Nations League. Um, of course, that's uh, going to trying to add a bit more spice to things in terms of international uh, breaks in general. Um, how did you guys find it, Seb? Come to you first on that. I mean, did it? Uh, help you sort of spark interest in these uh, in international games? Uh, you know, Harry, I went into it with a really open mind. I kind of, um, I enjoyed the World Cup, obviously. Um, and I sort of, I was looking forward to um, something a little bit more competitive at Wembley. I mean, I, I kind of, even even more so than the actual competitive games, the European qualifiers and the World Cup qualifiers, because I, I think England so rarely get to play top-level opposition in you know any capacity that it was it was nice to sort of you know to play a game which okay didn't really mean anything but it meant something in inverted commas um it's just a shame that it was kind of a from an england perspective sort of a reversion to the norm uh you know a lot of empty seats 10 minutes before the end that kind of hollow sound that, that wembley gets when people aren't you know completely um completely engaged and obviously to lose it was it, it's, it's been bearable I, i've enjoyed a lot of the football elsewhere um, just none of it has been from England, <laughs> so, um, but it's uh, yeah, it, it's it mercifully it's nearly over. That that that's what we'll focus on, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I think I I see what you mean there in terms of the reversion to norm for England. Uh, just I guess the way it feels as well. I think people people have gone to pains to sort of mention that Southgate's not been wearing the waistcoat as if that's some something that's going to magically transform us back to a couple of months ago, but. Um, yeah, I do sort of agree with you as well. I think so there are some games elsewhere that you look at them and because the highlights are all nicely online for you afterwards as well, if you've not caught something, you can see it. Um, there's some really amazing goals scored as well. But so, but it's, oh, sure. uh, it's going to take a while, I guess, to really spark our imagination, I guess. Um, Taddy, well, how... I think, I think people have to... Oh, sorry. I, I just going to say, I, I think people have to start to believe in the Nations League and I, oh, probably yeah. more importantly, start to understand it better. I think so. Uh-huh. I, think, I, I think when we get to the stage of promotions and, re- and relegations to different different groups, then perhaps people are going to get a little bit more um, interested in it because there are actually stakes for once. I think, you, as you mentioned earlier, um, England just rarely play anybody of, 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 of sort of real um, quality in these qualification sort of campaigns. Usually, I, I guess this is a much better measuring stick for us. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And Tado, how, how was it for you? I mean, did you manage to catch some of the other games, or were you, um, you know, rooted um, to your sofa watching England this uh, <laughs> this past week? Um, funny enough, the the game I did actually pay attention to was uh, a Russian game. Oh, nice. where they, they seem to be quite on fire. So it, it was a good game that I chose in terms of goal goal return. But uh, to be honest, I didn't really catch a lot of the international games. I was kind of using it as an international break for myself to take a break from from all the football for a bit because it's been pretty full on uh, with air as well over the World Cup. So I actually used it as as a refresher just two weeks away and then get ready for an, another long haul of the Premier League. But in terms of the the new format of the the tournament, I do think it is beneficial to to an England, for example, as was touched on towards the end there, where these competitive games I think will better prepare England for for the World Cups and the Euros and those type of tournaments because I think playing against more competitive teams will make you more prepared to play against the more competitive teams, so to speak. And it won't be necessarily a surprise where you expect it to up your level of performance now that you're playing a, you know, a Croatia in, in a semi-final. And um, I think maybe I'm, I'm clutching at straws here, but I would take the comparison with, uh, if you look at rugby, the rugby championship, uh, it used to be the tri-nations between South Africa, New Zealand and Australia. And Argentina came into it. And for the first couple of, you know, the, the first year or so, Argentina used to just get demolished by, admittedly, the three strongest teams, you know, or arguably the three strongest teams in, in world rugby. But if you look at it now, um, Argentina actually very, very competitive and it's helped them to, to grow. So I'm hoping that England will be able to use it to become more competitive uh, on an international stage opposed to some of the fixtures we've seen in the past. No, for sure. I think I I, I see what you mean there as well. I think one of the criticisms that was labelled against this England side, despite their really good run to the semi-finals in the World Cup, of course, was whether or not they were really good when they were up against it and tested by quality sides. So the more of those that England can play, I'm sure it's going to, it's going to benefit what really is a very, very young squad. So they're there, they're there to be molded, I guess. But, um, to move away from international football then and back to the, back to the Premier League then, of course. Um, I mean, I'm going to start with Spurs, Seb, and sort of bring you in here to speak about, um, looking right back to last season, just right at the first point. I mean, obviously, um, if we sort of focus on the, the general media narrative around Spurs this summer, it's been all, all been about the, the widely publicised sort of lack of action in the transfer window, um, and the fact that you know, really, given that nine of your players were in the semi-finals of the World Cup, uh, this is potentially a World Cup weary, um, weary Spurs side that's starting the season. You got those three wins, of course, um, including that win against uh, United um, uh, away from home, big one there. Um, but of course, I thought against Watford, there was sort of a physical contest that I was surprised to see Spurs come out second best on. Although I think people do forget how big. Uh, Watford side they are. Um, before we get to the new season, I just want to ask you though, what were your thoughts on last season uh, and how well Spurs did to finish third? You know, despite you know, given the fact they were in, in, in a temporary home. Yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, Harry. I, I um the Wembley thing is odd. Um, I think any time you you displace a club from their natural home, what you get is a sort of um 
a sort of a lack of familiarity which you can feel in the atmosphere. So every home game, and you know, Wembley is a venue; it's not a football ground. So um, when it when it hosts big occasions and FA Cup semi final, final League Cup final, you know, major international, it's it's actually it's it's a great it's a great stadium. When it's a Premier League ground and 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 when the when the atmosphere is a little bit run of the mill, um, it's a very strange place to watch football. Um, Especially also because you know your 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 sort of your top tier games are are probably going to sell out. But then you know if you're playing Burnley at home on a Saturday at three o'clock, and there's only fifty thousand fans in there, that that actually kind of looks like about twenty five um, because of the sheer size of the place. So with that in mind, I, I I think they did very well. I think they they adjusted to the pitch size. They adjusted well. They sort of they they defeated the the kind of the, the slightly lazy narrative about Wembley curses and 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 all that nonsense and. And they put together some really good form. I, I, I think the trouble now for Spurs is that sort of you, we're not, as a fan base, we're not kind of we're not really allowed to to enjoy just being good, you know, just being a competent football team. There's always this sort of there's always this caveat or asterisk that comes at the end of every season. So you can't sort of you're no longer allowed to to say okay, well, you know, we beat Real Madrid and we arguably outplayed them on their own ground, and you know, we we gave Juventus a hell of a hell of a hell of a game. But then there's this sort of lips just now where it's like, well, yeah, but what did you win? Um, and it's kind of, I don't know, I, I might just be bitter. I've, I've had sort of 34 years of this, so <laughs> you'll have to forgive me my kind of any any sort of residual bitterness. But it's just, it, it seems like football generally is becoming quite joyless. And so as a result, um, you know, this need to, to, to measure progress in a tangible way doesn't really suit Spurs because, you know, whether... Whether it's an FA Cup, a League Cup, or a Premier League, you're, you're uh, it's a club which has to compete with some very, very big fish who, you know, have much broader squads, who have vastly uh, greater wage budgets. And so, I don't know. It feels like uh, it feels like a battle between actually winning the games, enjoying that, and, and making sure sort of other people don't sort of pop your enthusiasm. Um, because there was there were some great moments. I mean the. You know, there were there, there were Dragon Slade winning winning at Stamford Bridge was was obviously a highlight, uh, and that was obviously thoroughly enjoyable. The 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 Champions League campaign was great fun. It, it didn't end as we wanted to. You just kind of you you fall at the hands of a slightly smarter, slightly better side. Um, but at the end of the day, to to compete across those fronts, you know, to reach an FA Cup semi final, to go into the knockout rounds of the Champions League, and also to finish third in 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 the Premier League, it's if if you if you offered that to me, ten fifteen years ago, I, I I couldn't have imagined it. Just because the the progress from what Tottenham was to what it is now is uh it, it's night and day. It really is. And I I think sometimes that gets lost. No, I get I get what you're talking about, and I think it's interesting because there's you talk about Liverpool and Spurs. There's two managers there who are so focused on development and so seemingly interested in in the progress that they can make on the training pitch and you know, the the milestones that they probably recognize that we don't always see. Yeah. And as you mentioned, some of the performances were, were really impressive, especially when you, when you do view things against the context of what we're all, what we're all up against now, especially um, the, uh, the wage bill that you are um, sort of reluctant to move away from, of course, from a structural mm-hmm. point of view. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do get what you're saying there, but I, I guess then that leads me on to my next point then, because the last thing I wanted to talk about in terms of last season was, the way it ended, of course, you, you finished third. It was that five-four win against Leicester. But then, of course, yeah. Pochettino's comments at the end of the season um, seemed like a pretty clear call from him. Sort of a power play, perhaps using it, using that moment 
uh, given how you'd finished, given the what was on the horizon of, of this new stadium that's still on the horizon, of course. Um, you, you shouldn't forget that. It's, it's still all there. Um, I guess it was a, a good moment for him to try this sort of, what I read anyway, as a, as a power play. Uh, and just one quote that stuck out to me was, of course, you know, we cannot think we're the cleverest people in the world winning trophies, spending small money. We need to think uh, our reality is different. So I mean, that seemed to me a pretty clear call from him that he wanted the club to perhaps um, abandon some of the conservatism um, that, let's face it, has been so useful for you guys uh, and show a little mm. bit more ambition in, in, in transfer market. So, I mean, based upon what happened following that, you know, he obviously signs a new deal not not too long after these comments, but then you don't sign anybody in the window. Um, what do you make of both things? Uh, both things there. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I, I wasn't in the press conference when he made those remarks, but um, everybody that was seems to agree with you, and that sort of it was a, it was as it sounds, it was a not a, not a challenge, but an, an urging of the club to sort of to to recognise what had been achieved and support it with a you know a great level of financial faith. I think what annoyed me about the summer. Um, I think there's a sort of this fallacy going around that sort of, you know, armies of Tottenham fans are expecting a, you know, um, a, a clutch of world-class players to, to march through the door. Um, I don't think that was really what everyone was after. I think it was just a kind of, you know, don't, don't abandon the, the approach which has taken the club to this point, but sort of reinforce it. So the, the Jack Grealish uh, issue is, 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 a, is a very interesting example because it was... This was not a, well, we can't afford to do this deal. It was a, well, we, we're going to try and be really clever about it. So Daniel Levy basically had one eye on um, on uh, Villa's issue with HMRC, um, sort of tried to wind the deadline down to see if they panic and release Grealish at a smaller fee. And then, of course, there was uh, the the club got taken over and, and Grealish was absolutely not for sale. And then they were sort of messing about with derisory bids in the last week of the window, I think, at, at one point. I think the club's final offer was four million plus Josh Onoma, which it, it it's sort of it's almost funny because it, it's again it's um, it's Daniel Levy wanting to be the smartest guy in the room. He is a uh, you know the negotiation the, the game of it is he seems to be enthralled to it and sometimes possibly to the detriment of the side. Uh, so the situation now is 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 almost I think I, I don't want to speak for a fan base, but I I, I think the mood is probably. Um, best surmised as, as a kind of people, you know, bracing for impact in the sense that for another season Pochettino is reliant on the, on the same small group of players. So, you know, if Kane isn't fit, there's a problem. If Ericsson doesn't play, there's a problem. You know, if you, you lose one of those centre-halves or if you lose a, you know, someone like Musa Dembele who already is um, is beginning to creak. He's coming to the end of his career, certainly in this country. Uh, he cannot play more than once in a week. Um you, I, I look at it as a kind of recklessness because it's a sort of you. It's almost as if the club doesn't really appreciate how how tenuous a top four existence is because you, you know, it's 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 great to to, to break through what was a glass ceiling for us and it's it's fantastic and the achievement of staying there for three for three straight years is is not um is you know is not insignificant but then it will be very very easy for Tottenham to finish sixth this season. You know, everybody else has strengthened. I mean, you know, I don't think Arsenal or Chelsea have improved dramatically enough to shoot up the table, but there, there's certainly been an improvement and ambition there. And it's as if, you know, it, it's 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 almost um, it feels like a complacency to me, Harry, because it's uh, 
you know, Tottenham, Tottenham spin this situation as a, um, well, we're in such a unique position with our wages and our first team is so good that it's just, it's much harder for us to improve than it is for any other club in European football. And I, I, I just don't quite buy that. Um, and you mentioned uh, in your question, sort of, we're four games into the season and yeah, nine different players uh, reported back late from the World Cup. And, and Spurs, they've won three out of four and they, they've done well to do that. But uh, they look knackered already. I mean, um, anyone who's seen the full 90 minutes of all of those games will know that uh, Watford was Watford and that was obviously poor. But, you know, none of the other um, none of the other results were really found on anything particularly impressive. I mean, winning at Old Trafford is uh, is the kind of result you remember. And it's certainly a win that the club needed from a from a psychological standpoint. But um if you take the way away the reputation of Manchester United and you look at that first team and, and, and how they're playing, it's just not a big deal. You, you don't have to do very much to win there anymore, which I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure won't face a lot of opposition on this podcast. But, yeah, um, I can't wait to yeah. get there. I, 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 yeah. I, I want to get there as soon as possible. <laughs> But I, but I, I, I'm in it though. I sort of, I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, it was, uh, I, I didn't cover the game, so it was my fan hat was on. You know, I was full partisan. You know, come on, you Spurs, all that kind of thing, and it was great. But then we, we, you sat back and reflect on it. You thought, well, you know, Manchester United are a mess. I mean, they can't defend. They, 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 they're a collection of very famous, very well played players who don't seem to be able to play together. And you know, if Tottenham, who were playing probably in about third or fourth gear at best are able to go there and roll them over three nil that that's that really says a little bit more about them than it did us um you know fulham was finally balanced for a while uh newcastle was edgy I, it's they're not playing well and i i you know from people look at the league table and, and sort of uh, propose this this sort of theory that actually you know the, the summer has been in everyone's best interest because you know something something continuity something something intangible benefits marginal gains all that kind of stuff I think people have gone way too early with that, um, you know, because the, the the same reliances still exist and the same precarious, you know, the, the, the same difficulties are, are going to be posed by, you know, the issues that they face as a result of such a such a narrow squad. I mean, if, you know, on um, the weekend, I, you know, if you're reliant on a, a sort of Hongwen Son who's, who's been around the world, he's, he's played in the Asia Cup, he's played two friendlies in the last week. You know, Musa Sissoko isn't fit. Wanyama isn't fit. Dembele is Dembele. You know, there are problems and, and nothing has really been done to to solve them. And it's just, you know, on the one hand, yes, everyone appreciates this is a wonderful team to watch, full of really gifted players, certainly the best team in my lifetime, and managed by the most capable head coach. But, you know, without meaning to sound ungrateful or, 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 or too uh, modern fanny about it, it wouldn't take much to just progress it you know, for a few notches. Um, and it feels like an opportunity wasted. No, certainly. I think, I mean, obviously looking at things from the outside in, looking at things with with a Liverpool hat on, um, you, you're always trying to find, um, especially once the transfer window closes, you know, looking at the other teams, seeing where the weaknesses are, for example, seeing, well, you know, are they really going to kick on? Who, who are mm-hmm. we going to be competing with? Um, and I, I understand as well, I think Liverpool obviously operate on a different wage structure, um, and you know, we, we've, while things have been clever, and perhaps um, we've tried to be clever in, in transfer market in, in recent years, it hasn't always come off. Um, you know, at the moment, we seem to find ourselves in a um, pretty strong position, and things seem to be aligned, which is which is yeah. pretty much as, as much as you can ask as a fan, in terms of not having to worry about things as 
apart from on the pitch, which is which is quite nice. Um, but <laughs> um, I mean, one thing we, I think we, we were already discussing one of the guys who does the pods with us on on here, uh, Simon Brundish. He's um, sports scientist. He's got plenty of expertise in in all things fatigue, basically, and he's. Um, yeah, he's he's already just looking at your squad. I mean, you mentioned it at the start of the season, the way, the way, I mean, the way in which everyone's sort of chucked their players back into their first team, City, um, Arsenal, not Arsenal, but uh, United, um, us to a degree, um, isn't wise, for example. But um, the way in which you're having to do that, based upon the the lack of players who came who came in in the summer, um, is, is there a feeling? I mean, despite the despondency over, I mean, perhaps you know, not taking the Full advantage of the opportunity. Is there a feeling that the, you mentioned the players are knackered already? Um, that it's, it's yeah. not going to be long until somebody's somebody pulls up and, and they're out for what six weeks or or, or longer. I mean, I, I I don't have the sort of the um, you know the scientific knowledge to, to to really answer that properly. I mean, it, it just it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you know, based on sort of past precedents, if you if you overwork players, muscle injuries are inevitable. I mean, I, yeah. I think. Um, I, I, I think he's expected to be fit for Saturday, but uh, I think Deli Ali pulled out of England training two days ago with a, a mild strain of some kind. Um, you know, Kane, because of the way he plays um, and because he's quite a physical forward, he he will get bumped around. Um, and he's had three ankle injuries inside eighteen months now, and you know, uh, eventually that strain is going to going to tell on him. Uh, a player like Toby Alderweireld again. You know, he's, he's getting older and, and we, we seem to be at sort of one major hamstring injury a season at the moment with him. So so there's that. I just, you, you know, you know, the parallel I draw is that you, when I look at Liverpool, I think what impressed me most about the summer transfer activity was not who you signed, although you did sign a lot of good players. It's just there was a clear order to everything. It was a kind of this is what we want and this is what we need. And so we're going to go out and do it. And yes, I, I, I accept that sort of the clubs are operating with a you know, under different conditions and Liverpool can afford to pay players far more than Tottenham can. However, if you know your targets and you know your ranges, there's really little to stop you um, being efficient and moving efficiently through the market. And I think I look at sort of, for instance, Fabinho, and I, I'm sure there are many good reasons why he hasn't been, you know, dumped straight into the first team, not least because, well, why, why would you interfere with a team which is playing so well, um, you know, and finished last season so well? And, you know, what what, what is the harm in, in allowing a player like that to acclimatise to a different country and you know get himself settled and you know that kind of thing. Whereas at Spurs, it's a sort of well, you know, everyone's got to play every day, every week. Otherwise, there are issues. Um, and it's just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, you, you can look further down the division. You can look at sort of the sort of the recruiting patterns of clubs like Brighton and you know even Huddersfield or Bournemouth and you know West Ham's not a good example because. That's always a nonsense. It's always a basket case, and it's always really about attention rather than actual footballing development. But you know, Spurs, Spurs, are, Spurs are not Spurs are only a pauper club in relation to to the the clubs immediately around them. In 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 Premier League terms, you know, they are still owned by one of the richest men in the world. They are still you know earning a vast amount from TV revenues, bit from the Premier League or or the Champions League, and it's just it 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 doesn't get explained well enough. Um, and I think, yeah, the result is definitely going to be somewhere in tear. Um, you know, I, if you look at the statistics about how many games some of these players have have played, and you know the distances covered within those games, it's it's alarming. And with with obviously Pochettino's approach to the game, it, it, which isn't a million miles from Klopp's, it's a it's a, a huge physical burden being um, you know being placed on these players. 
Yeah, I was going to ask about that or definitely move on to it later in the pod, but just talking about you mean the way in which both our sides play. I mean, it's it's not really conducive to, to players who are going to be fatigued and things like that. I mean, this, the, the last negative sort of point I'm going to mention before we talk about expectations for the season and, and you know, all the glory that's going to be out there as well. Um, okay. uh, just something that completely passed me by. I, I have to admit, I'm not sure how long it's, this has been out there, but I, I obviously saw it today um, uh, on Hugo Lloris' sort of drink driving charge. And, um, and then I also discovered loss of the captaincy that obviously happened prior to this in terms of this. It, it, no, it, no, no, no. Oh, he's, he's retaining the captaincy. Oh, he's retaining the captaincy. Okay. Uh, so. uh, well, the, uh, by all accounts, that is a a breaking story. It hasn't been confirmed, but at, at oh, the time okay. that we're recording this, he is still Tottenham's captain. Oh, sure. It? Okay. I mean, obviously, that's not the the greatest thing to happen. I think we we had a case with Firmino no. as well, who was um. Yeah. It doesn't sound to be as as bad as it uh, as this was because I was reading all sorts of details. That I'm probably not gonna, you know repeat because I can't confirm or anything like that but it sounded like he was pretty out of it um, yeah. and um, um, I mean it's, it's, I don't want to try and psychoanalyze this or anything like that but in terms of just the effect that this could potentially have and how unexpected it is you know, given what sort of a figure he is in the squad um, do you think there's I mean, you mentioned he's not, not lost the captaincy as far as we know um, you're not expecting any sort of further punishment or it'll just be dealt with internally you'd imagine um, yeah by body counts uh I think the latest report I read is that uh, Tottenham have fined him £300,000. Um, he's obviously issued his statement. He has been punished by the courts. I think he's got a 20-month driving ban and, and probably a, a very large fine as well. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that he's a, an extremely popular member of the squad. He's a very well-respected member of the squad. Um, my own personal opinion, for what it's worth, is that he should no longer be the club captain. And, but that's just because... I I just I, I don't think it's appropriate. I it, it's what what I think of him as a, a player or what I think of him, um, pre, it, you know, before this happened is is kind of incidental. I, I just um, it's it's a funny one. I don't I don't really understand what what the yeah. club's position is on this. I I remember when the Firmino thing happened. I remember I forget which paper, but some paper made a sort of um, you know headline joke of it. And I, I I remember thinking that's terribly inappropriate. Um, and I, we, we could go down a bit of a rabbit hole here and, and sort of yeah, discuss, no, of uh, you know, the, the the player as role model thing, which there's no answer to, and everyone's entitled to their opinion about. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if the players are, if the players are fine with it, okay. But I mean, speaking as a supporter, no, I'm not. I'm not particularly comfortable with it. I think the club could have handled it better. I think. Um, I remember saying this when when the news first broke. I I said this, and I sort of I was heartened by. Maybe seventy percent of the people I, I spoke to uh, seem to agree with me. Um, a lot of Tottenham fans out there who have spoken out vociferously about this, and then there's sort of a thirty percent who, um, you know, they're the kind of people that sort of if, if this happened to another club's captain, you know, they 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 they'd, they'd want that player sort of fired into the sun, you know, put away for life, banned forever, yeah. released from the contract, that kind of stuff. And and my, my, I think if you it's difficult. Like tribalism is a, a very strong thing, but I think if you have a a viewpoint on something, uh, if you believe in 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 sort of behavioural standards, it's got to be even even applied across you know across tribal boundaries. I, I just yeah, yeah no. me. Things, I mean, we all know what I'm talking about. The kind of the the, the sort of the white walkers on social media who, who sort of you know who come out with sort of all sorts of block capital tweets about this stuff. 
but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see, I guess. I mean, he, he remains popular. Seemingly, you know, he, he has his teammates support. That seemed to show at Old Trafford. Um, you know, no, there's no obvious signs of dissent about this. The decision to uh, allow him to keep the captaincy has been made by Pochettino, apparently. So I don't know. Whether it sits comfortably for me is a different issue, but I I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's 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 perhaps all for a completely different pod, but I think yeah, there, 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 there's been many times when I've seen clubs' reactions to things, and it's it's not just our own clubs, um, but you, know, you see it around, and you and you'd like to think that there would be um, a reaction that sort of matches your sort of social values or things like that, and, course, and, and very often it's not the case, and I mean. Uh, for me personally, I'm not. I'm not going to mention this any further, to be honest. But it was just, I'm, I'm still, I'm still annoyed and upset about the way in which the club, um, Liverpool, handled the whole Flanagan situation. So, um, you, you know, that's a great example because I, I was speaking with um, in a press room with someone actually. I won't, I won't name the person just in case. But I, we were talking about this and, and sort of, I, th- I would like to think my reaction to that is the moment that happened, he should have been released. He should never have the club ever again. Yeah, yeah. Without there, there's no. There's no evaluation of what he is as a player. You just you you've exhibited a behaviour which has no place in our football club. Um, I'm not a fan of Liverpool, but I, I I have a vague understanding of what Liverpool is within its community. Um, through conversations with some of your fans and and to uphold those values, you have to react decisively to that stuff. And I, I like to think, um, you know, touch wood, one of our players hasn't done that, but I'd like to think I'd have the same reaction. Um, I, I don't mean to sound pious. I just it, it frustrates me the kind of the no, of the lack of value in the game sometimes, and the sort of you know the 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 willingness to to look away from things just because a player wears a particular coloured shirt. I, I it's not it's not the game I grew up with, really. No, of course, and I, I, I'd even go on to um, perhaps mention that a large part of it I thought anyway perhaps wouldn't have been the lenience maybe wouldn't have been afforded to him. Had he not perhaps come from a certain part of the country as well, so I mean, there's, yeah, but, but let's definitely not get into the, that rabbit hole for sure. Well, that, that is a rabbit hole. But I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I think the point, the point in the abstract sounds. I mean, it's just a you know, if you have a belief system, just apply it exactly. Um, no, exactly. And, yeah, no, I, I, I would rather Hugo Lloris is not captain of my football club. Um, you know, I don't have a sort of um, you know, a journalist, a journalist stance on that, but. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not willing to subject myself to that at the moment. I mean, other people have done a very fine job. There. Daniel Story wrote a very good article today for Football 365, which I, I agree with. Um, you know, this stuff isn't difficult. Um, and, you know, the game is, is so visible that it, it does, whether anyone really likes it or not, it does hold an influence over society. Um, and, you know, the club the club needs to, to, to shoulder that, really. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, then. I mean, to get back to football, then I mean, yeah, I, 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 glad, yeah, yeah. Get back to yeah. matters on the pitch, anyway. But um, at the end of the pod, we're going to do sort of like a segment where I bring Taddy Warren as well, and and we and we both sort of speak about uh, maybe the more key battles that are going to be happening this weekend. But just just before we do sort of talk um talk things on Liverpool, I mean, I want to get your thoughts on what you, what your general expectations are for the season, then, um, you know, given the context of what you've talked about already, um, and then uh, I, I guess just just briefly then on on how you see Pochettino approaching the game this weekend i mean and and, and whether um, as part of that um the result last season holds any significance whatsoever of course many liverpool fans remember that performance uh very well i'm sure dejan still remembers it very well i'm um, sure it's burnt on his uh burnt on his brain that one yeah yeah i mean it, it, he, he went on to become self-proclaimed one of the best defenders in the world of course but uh it, it, it was it was a tough time for him absolutely but um 
yeah, yeah. Just, just just those two questions then your general expectations for the season um and then briefly how you you'd expect Poch to uh, approach this weekend okay well first of all, I, I I think I I still hold out hope of a, a fourth place uh, I think that's realistic I I, I think uh, Chelsea and Arsenal will find themselves battling for fifth and sixth um I I don't think we have the breadth of squad you know regardless of what may or may not happen in January I think if you factor in things like uh, yeah the breadth of the squad but also um, the move to the new stadium whenever that happens and the inevitable sort of uh, disruption that that will cause because that's always difficult history shows that I mean um, it may be you know Tottenham branded it may actually be in White Hot Lane again you know but it's still an unfamiliar environment so that will be hard Um, in terms of I mean I more, more, more generally, I, I kind of I expect to see some, some growth from within. I, I think players like um, you know someone like Harry Winks will become more and more prominent. Harry Winks is a, an outstanding player. I mean, he doesn't sort of doesn't quite get the publicity he should do because he's he's um, he's uh, he, he he's had two semi serious injuries in the past two seasons, but he'll he'll become a sort of a more re- regular first team player. Um, and I think yeah, I think it's um, it's just a hold on kind of season. Let's get through it. Let's not try and lose too much position. Try and do something in the Champions League, but um, you know, so it's almost like a yeah. The need is to hold their ground, and I I, I expect them to do that. I, I don't think it will be comfortable, um, and I think there'll be some sort of iffy periods of the season where, it, you know, you get a little bit of um, bit of anger in the fan base, uh, directed at the club probably. Uh, although that's already happening, um, but it should be re- you know relatively successful. Um, Saturday. First of all, we, we, we don't quite know the injury situation. Lloris is unlikely to start. He hasn't quite recovered from, a, I think he's got a groin strain. Um, we've got a couple of players coming back from international duty in South America. So we, Sanchez is uh, coming back from Colombia. And um, uh, Son is on his way back from Asia, of course. Um, but I, I, I do think Pochettino will go with the back three purely because of Firmino. I think you have to, whenever you encounter a false nine, I think it's a really good idea to have a spare centre-half. Um just because obviously he's going to drop off and, 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 and cause a few difficulties and create space and sort of the pocket in front and behind the defenders. Um, so I think he'll go back three again, despite its uh, issues at Watford. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Wink start. Um, Dembele should be fit, hopefully. So I think he'll play there with Ericsson ahead of them. Um, and then, yes, either he won't play both of Mora and Son, just because that doesn't quite work with the way the team's set up. It's a little bit too aggressive. So you'll see one or the other, probably Lucas, because he hasn't been playing international football. Uh, if you check his social media feed, he's been doing other things, which have been problematic, though. So uh, we'll see if there's any oh, any no. repercussions. <laughs> yeah, I, I look, I, I'm not going to go into that. I, I don't have a, a, a strong enough grip on Brazilian politics for that. Um, but again, uh, Google Translate, uh, if you put a couple of his tweets in there and he sort of yeah, let's let's not even do that. Actually, <laughs> you know, we didn't need another thing like this this week, but uh, it doesn't look very good. And I, yeah. Um, so yeah, and Kane uh, will limp on up front. Um, he's shot to pieces at the moment. He looks exhausted. He looks heavy legged. He's hesitating with the chances, and he looks like a player that has played far too much football, who has also not been given really any recuperation time from the World Cup. Um, and he had a. Um, Another ankle injury last season. It is beginning to show. I think you know if you you, you would have watched a, a couple of the, you know, um, the England Spain game on Saturday, you saw he's not quite where he should be, and that's um, yeah, we're, we're we're limping into the game really. 
Interesting. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of things that are going to be. Perhaps I'm, I'm sure Tadeo has got thoughts on for, towards the end of the pod as well, especially with um, uh, the idea that Spurs are going to play a back three against us. I think at one point last season, it, it just became sort of a sort of became overjoyed whenever a team tried to play a back three against us. But then I guess there there are teams like yourself and, and Chelsea who are probably two of the best teams at playing back threes in the league. So actually, they're, they're usually the two exceptions in terms of making it difficult for us and. Uh, um, well, I, I I like to think. Look, I mean, the, the ways we we struggled against Liverpool before is it's always been uh, Ben Davis had a terrible oh God, time yeah. against Mane uh, and Salah, uh, and who hasn't to be fair. But um, I think what what he'll look to do is add a little bit of protection behind the fullbacks because it's just been it's been brutal to watch. Um, you know, I'm not expecting anything like the game of Wembley last season. So you have to. I think he'll be a bit more negative and a bit more cautious. Sure. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to speak further about the game towards the end of the pod, Seb, but thanks so much for all that insight on Spurs there. I mean, there's there's a great deal to talk about, perhaps um, some stuff that you, you'd rather not be talking about at this stage of the season, <laughs> yeah, to be sure. fair. But yeah. um, talking Liverpool, um, Tadiwa, um, you had the chance to sort of listen in there and uh, hear everything about um, Spurs' start to the season and, and all the various factors that are going on. Um, for their club this season, and there's so much going on—the new stadium, the the off-pitch issues. I mean, I'm sure they just like to focus on on the pitch, but then they've got um, seemingly a, a bunch of very tired lads out there as well. Um, but uh, it, it says I was talking about our start to the season. Um, yeah, we've not necessarily played at our best at all um, so far, despite the fact that we're we're lucky enough to see ourselves in um, uh, top of the league, 100% record. That gritty win against Leicester um, before the international break. Um, what are your thoughts been on um, the start of the season that we've enjoyed so far? Yeah, I think especially after a World Cup, you you expect teams to not be firing, you know, heading into a season. And doubly, when you look at teams like Spurs and Liverpool, where a lot of the work is put on the training pitch, not necessarily um, signing your way to to winning things. So it, it's quite methodical in how the coaches want to prepare for games. And you can imagine a lot of ground is covered during preseason in terms of how you want to play, um, getting the players to the fitness. I think Spurs and Liverpool players, you really do have to have a certain level of fitness to be able to execute those game plans. So I think it's been quite a disruptive start for um, Klopp and Pochettino. Uh, in terms of, from a Liverpool perspective, I do think... It was a matter of just getting the points on the table before this hectic uh, fixture schedule that we're going to be going into. And we can always then look to reassess the trying to win in, in, in a nicer way or in a more getting back to the type of football that we were playing, you know, towards the, the end of last season, especially on the Champions League run. But yeah, I, I do think the, the important thing was getting the points on the table. And if you listen to Klopp, he he has mentioned that he wasn't expecting our play to be um, anywhere near um, those, those high levels that maybe some fans were expecting us to hit the ground running with, purely because he hasn't had the time to work with the players. The players are still building fitness. And I think he was saying he's expecting the players after this international break. So it was about a six-week period that he had given where he's going to start expecting the players to reach the the kind of levels that he would he would be expecting from from let's say his team this season so yeah so i think it's understandable 
and the coach is aware of it. I think the players are aware of it as well. The important thing is we've been able to grind out the results. Yeah, of course. I think that has been encouraging. I remember 13-14 season that we um, often look back to to the looking at the start to that season as well and uh, winning our opening three games there and, and, and just the way in which things went for us. We're not necessarily playing that well, but we had moments of quality. Um, but it was it was a different sort of football, of course, that season. And I think very often we felt like there wasn't um, the stability at the back to, to really give us the best chance of making a challenge that season. Uh, has one of the most encouraging aspects, at least to the start of this season, been for you that um, those games that we have won where we haven't been at our best, very often the standout performers from those games have been uh, defenders or midfielders doing defensive jobs? Yeah, I think it's been a pleasant surprise. And it's definitely something we're not used to as Liverpool fans in, in recent history. It's always been that mentality of scoring as many goals as we can and then trying to hold on uh, towards the end of the games. But it, it does it does make the the games a bit uh, more enjoyable to watch. I think if you know your team is capable of holding on to a lead, and then it doesn't put as much pressure on the guys up front. Uh, you know, heading into games knowing that if they do get just the one goal or maybe two goals, we do have enough to hold on. I think um, I've always advocated for having a strong defence, and I think. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that old age saying of offense wins games, defense wins championships. And if Liverpool are to, you know, to be title challengers this season, as a lot of people want us to be and are expecting us to be, then I think it has to start at the back and it has to start with the solid defense. No, for sure. I think people have been harping on about this for a while, especially on Anfield, um, on Anfield Index in terms of building from the back. But um, in terms of individual players then, I mean, um, one I wanted to focus on really. I mean, Van Dyke's uh, very a very obvious player to focus on. Just won the Standard Charter Player of the Month for the first um, first month of the season for Liverpool. Um, but actually, it's it's his partner who I, I wanted to focus on is Joe Gomez. Uh, finally, seeing him in the centre back role, the fabled sort of oh he's a centre back playing there sort of suggestions that we've heard for a long time, and we're finally getting the chance to see it. Um, it's a good environment for him to come into, I suppose. Um, what have you made of his performances um, at the start of the season? And um, would you look at it as, you know, as long as he's playing well, he, he holds down this role? I, I would certainly be keen for him to keep the role, especially considering how volatile um, some of the other centre-backs that we've had in the past. I think also just it, it's a novelty for Liverpool to have a set-back five. And if you look this season, I don't think we have changed the back five. And in saying the back five, I'm including the keeper in that, where we know these are the people that are going to be starting. And it just breeds familiarity and more comfort, I think, from from that perspective. Uh, with regards to Gomez, I think, yeah, he he had to do a job for us last season at right back, considering the injury to Klein um, and also the age of, Alexander Arnold and I, I thought he he did reasonably well there. I think it's helped him in his development for the position of centre back because he now knows what he can expect from his right back. He knows, you know, what is being asked of of our right back in 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 games. So I'm sure he's if we if you look at his performances, there's a lot of cover work that he has done on that right hand side whenever Trent has bombed forward. So I, I think he he's definitely learnt a lot from that. In terms of heading forward, yeah, I, I do think he has to keep his jersey, especially for, as I've mentioned, the, the 
those guys at the back, they need to have a trust, a familiarity, and also just being in a good moment where there's no need to now bring in Lovren, who, you know, he's he's got his attributes and he's been playing well and he did play well with Virgil van Dijk towards the end of last season. But it's then now Allison needs to be taken into consideration. How will Allison adapt to now playing with a new, you know, centre-back partnership in front of him? Those type of small things, I think, do play a factor. So I'd keep him in there. Yeah, for sure. You you mentioned some other um, consistent players in in that back five as well. I mean, we've we've been lucky uh, to have those players um, playing for us consistently. And you mentioned the way in which Trent and uh, Joe Gomez have sort of helped each other out there in terms of pushing each other last season. Um, Joe Gomez always seemed like a better fit as a centre-back. Now we're getting to see it alongside Trent. um, And Trent really does seem to be going leaps and bounds there. the next point I want to, to, to talk on is, is mentioning, again, a member of that back five, um, the goalkeeper, of course. I mean, and despite the fact that seemingly it's already been forgotten by the dressing room in, in that uh, the error Allison made um, for himself against Leicester, um, he's, he's accepted it. Uh, both both Klopp and him came out after the game and, and spoke about, you know, maybe the doing that in that situation and it being a good time to do it because we we, we, won, we won the game. Um, having said that, you know, knowing what we do about Allison and his time in Italy, um, you wouldn't imagine it's going to dissuade him from doing it again. Um, are, are you worried about how, how he's going to respond to this in the slightest? Or, I mean, would you want him to, to change the way he plays? I'm sure there's plenty of uh, uh, Daz going to the game, over 50, etc., who are just willing him to, to go along all the time. But um, you don't imagine he's going to do that, do you? No, no, not at all. And I think I, I did give a warning at the beginning of the season or before the season start because I was involved with the Transfer Rumours podcast throughout the summer and I hosted the Allison podcast when Allison was announced. And I, I, I made a point of trying to look at this um, this aspect of his game because I noticed that a lot of the, the Liverpool podcasts that had been going on in and around that time were just, you know, glowing reviews of Allison, and there wasn't a bad thing that he could do and those type of things. And I made it a point to bring up the fact that he is going to make this type of mistake. And it's, it wasn't, you know, the first time he's ever done it uh, against Leicester. He's done it before in, in previous games and obviously other clubs. And, and also at Liverpool, he got away with it uh, in, in one of the other games. And it certainly won't be the last time this happens. So I think it's part of his game. It's part of his natural game, which I think is the important thing. You want your players, especially the, the, the bigger players, and I would class Allison as one of the big players in our squad. You want those players to be playing their natural game that best ex- um, allows them to express their talents. And if you're not telling an Allison to um, change the way he plays, it definitely, I think, it affects his decision-making, because if he's now second-guessing what he should be doing in those situations, I think that's when it causes confusion. But if he's playing his natural game, he's used to, you know, the ball at his feet, he's very comfortable with the ball at his feet. So I, I would advocate him to continue to to do that. But obviously, you can tailor it a little bit in terms of when and how to use that skill. I think Klopp has spoken about it a few times where he doesn't necessarily have to show that skill every single time he touches the ball. But I, 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 I definitely won't be taking that away from his game. And 
from my perspective, and as I've said before on, on podcasts, my my thought process has always been he's going to help us to score way more goals than he's going to concede doing this. So I think the the means just defines the end in, in terms of that, in that yes, the odd goal is going to is going to happen. Yes, the odd time he is going to get caught out by strikers, but there's going to be countless times where he does a cry turn and it pulls a striker forward and that striker coming forward means another midfielder has to come out of position to cover where that striker would have been and it just pulls team apart and that's never going to be spoken about because that's not, you know, as glamorous as, oh, look at the mistakes he's made. And I just think as Liverpool fans, we should just know that it's going to happen. It is a part of his game. Um, obviously, he'll tailor it according to how and when to use it, but it's going to benefit us. We've seen his distribution in, you know, the game so far this season, and it's it's allowed us to have more control in games. So I definitely wouldn't be taking that away from him. And then also we have to take into consideration that, you know, I think when you buy a player like Allison for the fee that you bought him, the mental side of the game is a big factor that that also is considered. He's the type of player, and we saw it evident in the Leicester game, where, yes, he made the mistake, but as soon as he made the mistake, he sort of dusted himself off. He was a bit frustrated with himself, but then he just carried on playing the game like as if he hadn't made that mistake, where some of the keepers in our past... Um, and I'm sure the names will be flying out of people's mouths as, as I'm speaking now. But in the past, if they make a mistake in a game, that mistake is going to haunt them for the rest of the game and probably for the next game, you know, for the next few games. Whereas with an Allison, he can make a mistake and completely forget about it and just reset and carry on, you know, pulling off some good saves, which he did in that Leicester game. Yeah, it was interesting to see what David Priest had to say on it afterwards as well. I remember seeing his tweets on it, and um, he's a, he's obviously a big fan of of Allison, and and he's always um, you always need to produce a fairly nuanced sort of takes on goalkeeping in general, to be honest. But he was talking about how he'd noticed, yeah, made the error, um, doubts that uh, it'll stop him doing that again, um, and then following that, made a number of of big saves. And I think there was one moment as well in that game where um, there are a number of passes on for him, and he chose a drilled pass through the middle that was probably the riskiest one he could try but also probably the most penetrative one he could try as well um and he went for it and it, of course it worked and you're just thinking well if you're backing yourself what 10 minutes later to try that um it, it does sort of um, leave you feeling encouraged about how confident this guy is and it's, it's it's pretty strange to see somebody who um wants to be a part of a football match so much and as a goalkeeper it's, 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 it's sort of a refreshing to see and I'm sure we're going to see some more moments as you mentioned there as well um, him uh, testing us out in terms of our, our hearts this season and, and yeah I, I do tend to agree with you I think he's going to contribute far far more to the attack than he will um, cost us uh, in defence so moving on to the Spurs game then Taliwa and last season of course Wembley was the scene of um, a pretty defining game for, for Klopp's side I mean a big defeat to Spurs um, probably feature one of the worst um, sort of centre back performances we've seen for a while. Um, uh, Dejan Lovren, of course, seems to completely lose his head. It's sort of apt that we're talking about players making errors and then staying with them. Uh, you could tell in that game he he'd made the errors, it completely unable to refocus. And one of the rare times you'll see Klopp do something like that in terms of substituting a player so early um, because it, it seemed like he just couldn't get himself back together again. Um, 
of course, that's an anomaly. I mean, you can't really look at that game and say, well, there's going to be a, a repeat of that. Someone's going to have a freak accident or whatever. You can never know. But um, uh, do you think that that performance at all is going to have any bearing on on this weekend's game? Or you know, these are two different teams, you know, two different sets of context. Are you expecting a, a different type of game this weekend? If you if you look at maybe to start off, if you look at the the back four that did play in that, or even the back five that played in that game, I think Joe Gomez is the only one who is now currently in our starting lineup. Um, and then Trent Alexander-Arnold was on the bench and Robertson wasn't even in the team. So I think from, from that perspective, it's it's a whole new back line. I think those type of mistakes hopefully are, we've eradicated them in terms of guys completely, you know, collapsing in, in, inside a game. Um, but you also have to take into consideration that I think that game helped us to to get along for the rest of the season. I know it doesn't seem like it at the moment when you when you've just lost to one of your rivals. But yeah, if you look say. at the yeah, <laughs> um, I, I certainly know I, I was fuming with Lovren. And considering the fact that my girlfriend's a Spurs fan, um, ah. the household <laughs> is never is never quiet in those situations. Um, but if you look at um, the games preceding that, Liverpool had conceded quite a fair bit um, of goals. And we actually weren't very good defensively. And I think it was one of those things where it needed that Spurs defeat in order for us to, and Klopp has mentioned it, in order for Klopp to directly now look at the situation, you know, draw a line in the sand and say, you know, enough is enough. Okay, let's focus on the defense. Let's fix this defensive setup. Whereas if we had gotten away with, you know, maybe a 2-1 loss or, or a draw against Spurs that day, it's quite possible that everything would have just carried on as it, as it had gone on for, you know, the beginning of the season. And um, so I, I counted it as a blessing in disguise after the fact, not necessarily, you know, directly after the game. But later on, looking back, if you look at how then aggressively we went after Van Dijk in the January transfer window, some would argue that, you know, that, that Spurs game was also one of the watershed moments that said, OK, we have to bring him in now whether we're playing the extra premium because, you know, we were quoted as meant to be buying him for less. And obviously we had to pay that sort of penalty for the the off-field things that had happened. But maybe that game was also the catalyst in saying, okay, we're bringing him in January and we're bringing him early in January. Uh, And then if you look at our defence now compared to then, I think maybe the team has a better understanding of how to defend in games like that. But as as we've seen in the Man United Spurs game earlier in the season, and as we saw, I suppose, in the Chelsea and Arsenal game where goals were plenty, that these big games, it is very possible where teams are, you know, of such high quality it, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that Harry Kane goes and scores a hat trick and Liverpool's front line just struggles to 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 break down Spurs' defense, you know. It, it it it's one of those things that can happen. But in terms of the fundamental tools, I think we do have better tools that are able to handle the situation a bit better. And I know for a fact Klopp will definitely be wanting to, you know, to address the the the, the situation that happened last time when he was at Wembley. Of course. I mean, I mean would you look to mix things up at all to the lineup? We've seen a pretty consistent lineup so far. Uh, in the opening four games, of course. Uh, did you ever expect that to change following the international break? Of course, I mean, Seb was talking about the way in which we've tried to slowly um, 
uh, ingratiate um, Fabino into the into the squad, into the team. Um, you know, many expected him to start first game. Of course, this would be quite the game to dump him into uh, <laughs> for his first sort of taste of the Premier League action. But um, are you expecting any changes in the lineup uh, for this game? I, I think the the back and the front sort of picks itself, barring any injuries. In terms of you know Allison, he's definitely the number one. Um, and then our back four, you'd assume they're going to stay the same, as I mentioned, unless they're injuries or niggles after the international break that haven't been reported. But it seems like everyone's got a clean bill of health. The front three obviously picks themselves as well. So it would be that midfield that you'd look at to see where the changes are going to be coming in. I, I thought the midfield was fine for the first couple of games with Milner, Jenny and um, Navigator in there. But Henderson came in for the Leicester game. You know, there was polarizing views on how he played. There's always polarizing views on any Henderson performance. But uh, from a personal perspective, I would have pre- I would prefer to go back to the, the the midfield three that we started the season off with in terms of Milner, Jenny and Navigator. I thought they they were gelling together quite well. Henderson coming in, I I, I feel he might be better used for games where we know we're going to dominate possession and he can sort of control the tempo and the and the passing. Whereas in this end-to-end game against Spurs, I think there's going to be a lot of running. You you think of the likes of Oxlade-Chamberlain, he would have thrived in a game like this where it's up and down the pitch. So I, I would be keen to have, you know, the genies, the navigators who have that mobility up and down the pitch. And then Molna, I think... Milner has started the season so well, so I can't see him getting taken out of the team. But I suppose Henderson being the club captain, that's always, you know, he's always got a chance to be in in and around the starting eleven. Yeah, I think that's going to be the major talking point, isn't it? I think Henderson, um, his performances so far this season, how he's affected the balance of that midfield. Uh, it, it, it was very interesting to see how uh, Wijnaldum, who started the season so well, like really, really well, um, and, and seemed to be far more involved in all the games he played in, um, once he'd been moved from that six role to an eight, just become became far more anonymous in the game and um, went back to some of the performances we saw last season where he didn't seem to have much of an influence. So, um, Seb, bringing you in now so, so we can talk about the game a little bit more, I mean, you heard Taddy while there talk about the big sort of question for Liverpool fans ahead of the game, it's going to be in midfield. I'm just interested to see what your opinion is when you're, when you're looking at that team and thinking about where Spurs can potentially get at us or, or where you see a weakness or anything like that. Do you have any of your own views on, on Henderson and how, um, how, how, how he fits into that midfield now? The, obviously, the likes of Cater have been bought, Fabino has been bought, um, despite not playing. Um, yeah. Do, do you view him in a similar way or I'd be interested to hear your, hear your view on it? Uh, I I want to want to be careful how I phrase this because I, I I think Jordan Henderson is a good player. I just don't think he's an excellent one. I think he's also he's someone that if he's pressed, um, you know, can be a little bit of a weakness. He has a lot of assets to his game, a lot of strengths. But I, you know, given the way Spurs play, we we, we do like Liverpool. We, we want to press high up the field. You know, all of our front four will um, be pretty aggressive in that press. If he's going to play as the deepest man in that in that midfield, then he's certainly someone that. We would, we would uh, be enthusiastic about seeing on the team sheet. It's certainly at least, at least relative to someone like Fabinho, yes. Um, just because he doesn't quite have the technique of a, of a cater, someone like that, to 
you know, to, to potentially cut through any lines or step away from, you know, some players like Ericsson and Kane and, and so on and, and Lucas who who will be pressing on the pitch. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean I, I I don't get the negativity around Henderson because I, I think he's a perfectly serviceable player who, you know, on occasions has been excellent for Liverpool. Um he's he's produced some, some really good performances. His main crime, as far as I can see, seems to be that he's not Steven Gerrard. Um and he's not really ever capable of being Steven Gerrard. And I, I, I think that's that that's terribly unfair on him. Um, but he's uh, no, he's he's not a world class player. So you know, he's he's someone that um, would be viewed as as uh, as a weakness, probably. Yeah, it's it's interesting to look at it because I think the the Gerard comparisons it's it's never been an issue of mine. I mean, I've never had that sort of expectation with him. I think for me, it was always that he never to me has ever seemed suited in this six role. I think he's always sort of. I think he's he's a very hard working player and he's he adapted to plenty of positions over the years. It's almost like he's forced himself to learn aspects of it. But as you mentioned, there are other aspects of his game um, being pressed. You know, he's, he's not not great at passing his way out of trouble when he is pressed and um, things like that. I, I, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I I, I think I, I think Henderson's an example of, of something which is very modern in that you don't. You don't really get midfield specialists anymore. No, no. You, you don't get guys that sort of only have one task and one role in in, in a team. So, Henson's, uh, you know, he reminds me a little bit in a way of Gareth Barry in that he's he's good in several aspects of the game without really being outstanding any single one of them. Um, so it's interesting. I, I, I mean, the, the Jared thing I, I think is more just because of the fact that he he happens to be wearing the captain's armband. Yeah. I, I think it's that. I don't think anyone ever confused him stylistically. I, I just, it's a hard thing. I mean, it's like you know, it, it's a it's a it's a tough role uh, that one. <laughs> it's a tough, tough person to lead in Liverpool. I think. Of course, especially if you don't like, often like to shoot from sort of no, thirty no. yards and it goes in the top corner, you're always going to get. Uh, negatively compared to him. I mean, so from a Spurs perspective, though, when you're looking at that um, that mm. potential team for Liverpool, the front and the back sort of picks itself, um, where would you be uh, looking at it to sort of um, think you could pick weaknesses in it based upon the players that you think are going to be available um, for Spurs this weekend? Uh, I, I think I'd want to... Um, I, I... I think I'd aim as much attacking pressure down Trent Alexander-Arnold's side as possible, just because I, I think he's a, he's a superb player in the making. Uh, I just I'm not sure he's defensively quite there yet, and I'd like to see someone like Son matched up against him, just because you know he's athletically quick enough to 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 sort of to deal with Son. But I just wonder whether you know he can he can handle that sort of pressure. Also, Son is uh, one of those players that cuts in field quite a lot, and for for a fullback who's still really learning the game, that's a little bit difficult because it you know it, it creates an issue in terms of you know their positioning and it, it just uh in younger players that 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 can be an issue i think um i mean i was listening to you guys talk about joe gomez i think he's i think he's been brilliant i think um i was from afar admittedly i was firmly on the kind of this guy's not a fullback side of the argument he's a he's definitely a center half in the making um and he's been brilliant i just wonder whether you know um it's 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 all well and good sort of you know playing against a you know a, a, a kind of a Glenn Murray style of opponent versus you know Kane's a different entity. Um, so Kane will be the best player he's faced this season, uh, best centre forward he's faced this season, even in his current form. Uh, he just uh, he presents such a, a rounded threat. So I'd be interested to see that. I think midfield is always is always an issue. I I I, I I'm not really. Until we know who's really fit for Spurs, it's very hard to tell how we'll play and which players will be able to 
you know, sort of not not target, but but to focus on. I mean, um, Kata is from what I've seen is terrific. I don't pretend to watch a lot of Bundesliga football, but I haven't been anything but impressed since he got there. So I think the, um, you know, his passing range would certainly call for a kind of, you know, maybe a, a slightly more negative, an Eric Dyer type sitting at the base of our midfield, perhaps. Um, we'll see. I, I don't, you know, it, it's, it's a hard thing to get used to because previously when you came up against Liverpool, th- this answer really wrote itself. You were like, right, well, something's going to happen between the centre-half and the goalkeeper. You know, because you, you just you're always in a game against Liverpool, but there was always going to be not necessarily a mistake, but some kind of chaos bred from a you know um, you know a, a poor Mignolet decision or a Karras fumble or or a you know something Dejan Lovren might have done you know, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's I I still feel like I'm getting to know this Liverpool team uh, because it's been a very very long time since they were uh, you know defensively as good as they theoretically looked to be. Um, and had as good a goalkeeper as they do, so so it's it's new ground. I'd be I'd be interested, but Alec- Alexander Arnold is the one that I I would I would have a little bit of a question mark about, and that's just an experience thing, not a talent problem at all. No, I think it makes sense based on what on what we saw last season as well. He's definitely come on leaps and bounds, but um, you do have suspicions as to whether if teams do really really go at him for a period of time. Well, also, if 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 you're going to play with a you know if you're going to play with two centre halves potentially. Mm-hmm. Then you know a fullback is always going to have a you know a back post responsibility and aerial issue. Yeah, uh, he's not the most physical player, and and it, he just wonder. I mean, he, he just um, because he's so quick and because he's so aggressive with the ball and he's so talented in in the um, in the other half of the field. He reminds me a little bit of a young Carl Walker. Uh, I mean, and, and and Walker was you know a tremendous player in his early days at Tottenham, but he had some terrible moments without the ball. Um, and you know he he still does occasionally, and and it's just it's not the player's fault. It's just a, it's part of the learning process, you know. And I, I I'd be interested to see how he deals with it. Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely going to be an interesting uh, sort of focus of the game. Taddy, well, if, if you're looking the other way around, then and you're looking at Spurs' team, and you're thinking, um, or you you're looking from a Liverpool spect- uh, perspective at Spurs' team, um, do you think this is probably a good time to play them then, based on everything that Seb said about the. Yeah, the maybe the the physical conditioning of the players, the couple of injuries here and there. Um, Larice isn't going to be in goal for them either. Um, Kane maybe not at, as sharp as we um, had seen him at, at, at points last season. Um, do, do you think this is a, a good opportunity for us? Yeah, I think uh, it, it's definitely benefited us to play our Spurs as close to the World Cup as as possible, considering how many players they had going to the World Cup. And if you if you look at the way they've started the season, um, you can see that their players haven't had the the preseason that they would have liked to have had. I do you know I do think when when Liverpool go into this game, obviously the big concern for Spurs must be you know the the fullbacks in terms of what Liverpool have been able to do on the flanks against Spurs uh, in in recent history. Um, and and as Sebas alluded to, that he maybe favours a, a back three to try and um, counter that effect. Uh, I think also for Spurs, uh, it will be interesting to see how how high their line is going to be, because Spurs are traditionally known for having quite a high line. And if you're playing a high line against Liverpool, I think that's a very very dangerous game. If you look at the pace that we have, and then add into that fact the likes of you know if a navigator starts and he's going to have. Uh, maybe more than a, a third of a pitch to to pass the ball into into space for a seller or a money that could be quite quite a dangerous thing. Um, I think also 
the worry for me from a Liverpool perspective is, as as we mentioned, the midfield because I do think Spurs have a way more settled midfield in terms of a dominant midfield. Liverpool's midfield is definitely either we they're going to have to step up or we're going to have to bypass our, our midfield in this game and sort of try and hit the ball long into the flanks because I do think uh, one, one of my favourite players to watch live is Moussa Dembele and I'm scared that he could actually run a game like this and just completely take our midfield out of it. Um, in terms of, uh, maybe Seb could answer this, in terms of, I've noticed that, you know, Delhi Ali does like that run in between the fullback and the centre-back where it's a cross-field ball from Vertonghen from left to right. And Ali is, you know, running beyond the strikers into that space. Maybe Lucas Moura might be adopting that role now. But do you think maybe, as he's mentioned, he's looking at Trent as exploiting that that position? Do you think you'd switch it from right to left rather than left to right, where you're looking to ping it into the space between Trent Alexander-Arnold and Gomez, opposed to putting it in between Van Dijk and Robertson? Because I think that's more of a, a solid partnership on the left-hand side than the right-hand side of Liverpool. That's a concern I have. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think what you'll see, if if Ali, Son, uh, if Ali and Son play, I think you'll see Aldevaro ping that big diagonal he's got in that direction a lot. I mean, I, you tend to see Son, Ali and Kane play in little triangles in that area anyway, around sort of the corner of the, the left-hand side of the box. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, that Aldevaro ball to Ali is is a kind of a, is an established part of the repertoire. And I, I, don't, I don't see much value in aiming it towards Van Dijk. Of course, he's a, he's a super player. Um, but yeah, at least in at least in the sort of the first fifteen twenty minutes, it'll be it'll be there. It'll be in the armory, I guess. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, yeah. So obviously that that's a concern for me as a Liverpool fan. But in terms of going forward, I think we're still yet to see our front three really, you know, step into it and really get into into a game and necessarily win us a game by themselves. Um, as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's been a lot of the defence and the midfield. So I suppose it would be nice <laughs> to 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 have the front three just absolutely blow up and and really take it to Spurs. And I think with Spurs as highline, this could be the game that could suit them. Yeah, I think it's going to be um, worth watching. Yeah, I think Salah um, had some creative moments against Niger, but I think there was also some. Um, some profligacy there. He doesn't look completely with it at the moment. And he, of course, he's got plenty of things to focus on off the pitch as well that he seems to be, um, I'm guessing, somewhat distracted by. Mane is the one who really has started the season sharp. So, yeah, I think it's going to be worth watching them for sure. Um, all right then, guys. I, I mean, I've been speaking to you both for a while now on the on on the game and all, all, all the context around it. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Um, Taliwa, I'm going to start with you. Um, what would be your prediction then for, for Saturday's game? Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Look, I think a way to arrival, I, I would happily take a draw and we sort of regroup and carry on. But looking at the fixtures that are going to be coming up, a win here could really set us up nicely. I, I would be happy with a, a 2-1 win, but if my girlfriend asks, you didn't hear that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's the intangible. And Seb, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot then as well. I mean, I mean what do you think? Um, or, or what's your prediction for Saturday? I mean, do you agree that perhaps we're going to see Dembele run the show? Is it a hurricane hat trick, or, uh, or, what, <laughs> or, or what are you expecting? No, I, I, 
I, Dembele hasn't. I, I, I agree completely about what he is as a spectacle. Dembele is a, a wonderful footballer, but he's uh, he's somewhere short of his best. So I, I, I don't don't really see that. I um, no, I, I go along with you on Liverpool. I just one of the reasons I hate this match is because is the Spurs are so ill suited to playing Liverpool. Um, we we still haven't found really an answer to the pace at the top of uh, Klopp's formation. Um, you know, fullbacks seem to always struggle with one of Manny or Salah or both. Um, yeah, just I, I just I, I just don't think Tottenham are playing well enough. I think um, you know maybe later in the season when uh, you know a couple of the the injured players are back and there's a little bit more strength and depth, it's it's a bit different. You know, with a few more tactical options available. But uh, I I can see how how Spurs will play now, and I I don't think it will be sufficient. I don't I don't see them winning the game. I think uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take uh, you know maybe maybe Tottenham off to a fast start, but then and uh, then Liverpool to score a couple of goals. I think I'm going to go with the same thing actually in terms of a two-one result. I mean, it seems weird that we all we all go for the same result, but I, I just the international break, post-international break, early kickoff as well. Those are factors that don't seem to have um, been too kind to us over the past um, season or two, especially since Klopp's arrived. Oddly, we just definitely don't do as well. So it's going to be um, worth watching that as well to see whether Liverpool could shake that funk off a little bit. But um, Thanks ever so much, guys, for helping me preview the game. Um, Seb, really great insight there on, on everything um, um, surrounding Spurs' season and the uh, the context of the, of the new stadium, the manager situation, the players, of course, uh, and Tadiwar as well for all your insight on Liverpool. And um, we've been very much enjoying the start of the season as well, of course. But um, before you you guys do go, I just wanted to ask whether you have anything to, to plug. So, I mean, Seb, I mean, is there anything that you'd like to plug? No, not really. I really want to plug my my uh, my Twitter uh, because I, I probably I, I, unfortunately I can't resist putting a Spurs slant on things. I'm still very much a fan, um, so I could do without that for a week at least. <laughs> but um, no, no, it's uh, no, that's okay. It's been it's been fun to come on. Sure, thanks so much. And um, Taliwa, I mean, you got anything to plug on your side? Uh, just the, I did a a fantasy podcast for any of the fantasy players. I did an air fantasy podcast yesterday. I think it should be out either t- um, tomorrow or the day after. Just looking at, um, obviously, after the international break, whether their injuries, uh, wild cards. A lot of people have been playing their wild cards this international break and trying to assess um, what people can be bringing into their teams. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that's all for me for now. Certainly, absolutely. I'm sure plenty of people are going to be playing them after after international breaks, so it's, it's going to be interesting there. But I, I played mine in the second week of August, by the way. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even lying. I got I got it that wrong in the first week. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Can I uh, yeah, all of us? I, I, I have to be honest about it. I can't lie. I, it's... <laughs> No, exactly. Can can happen to all of us, of course. All right, then, guys. I mean, I mean thanks so much again, and uh, to listen. I hope you've enjoyed this one. We'll be back, of course, um, uh, next week to talk about Liverpool Southampton. Small matter of that uh, that game against uh, is it PSG, I believe, <laughs> in between that. So mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be one to um, enjoy as well. It's a very busy sort of fixture schedule that's coming up. It's going to be a perhaps defining uh, month for for Liverpool. So uh, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll be back uh, back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.